2: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Our reasonable voice today is a mother, opera singer, musical theater actor, documentary producer, educator, and a former television student of mine who will be performing gloriously Saturday, 11 December 2021 at Urban Stages in a wonderful, intimate and quaint theater where Francis Hill is the general manager in, here's to us, an evening with Laurie Brown Mirabal. Throughout her award-winning singing career, Lori Brown Mirabal has performed with legendary opera and musical theater luminaries. Lori created the leading role of Clara Brown in the acclaimed world premiere of Gabriel's Daughter at Central City Opera in Colorado. Her solo shows, Charmed Life and Making Opera Soup, have recently premiered at Urban Stages in New York City and at First Stages Logan Festival in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, where they have been receiving enthusiastic reviews. Laurie received professional training at the University of Memphis BFA Theatre, 81, at Juilliard, the Juilliard Opera Centre, 1991, and at Manhattan School of Music, a Master of Music and Voice, in 1994. She earned both a master's and doctorate in music education at the Columbia University's Teacher's College in 2008. While at Columbia, she established Opera Soup Productions, LLC, to introduce children to opera. Well, Lori Brown Mirabal, it is so great to be in touch with you again. Welcome to the show. I hope you're doing fine and well. Let's start out with that. Let's just start out with that question that is so familiar to all performers. Tell us about yourself.
0: I am a professional opera singer, and I'm trained at the top conservatories like Manhattan School of Music and the Juilliard School. And at Manhattan School of Music, also gave me a scholarship to attend the first year.
3: Wow.
0: And yeah, and then at Juilliard, I received a scholarship and a living stipend to attend the, uh, they called it at that time the Juilliard Opera Training Program. Uh And recently somebody asked me, what all did you do at those conservatories? They were training me to be an international opera diva, really. You know, like in the footsteps of people like Shirley Barrett and Grace Bumbry and Leontine Price and, you know, Julieta Sommi and all of the wonderful singers that have gone before Maria College, you know. Yes. So we were trained as actors, we were trained uh, obviously to be optimum singers. Uh, you know, trained with the different languages. You know, we were taught that you can't you couldn't fudge on the languages. At least in my generation, I was told by an older opera singer that they used to get the spaghetti and macaroni, spaghetti <laughs> 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 But by my generation, they were like, no, 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 you must pronounce every word in every language correctly, and you must know word for word what each word means so that you can be a credible actress in the role.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: there was no spaghetti and meatball kind of thing for us, we really were trained to do that and train to appear on international stages. I know, you know, years later when I landed as a music teacher in elementary school, my piano playing skills aren't wonderful. And they were like, well, why can't you play the piano? We've heard, you know, we went to see this opera singer one time and and she sat down and played the piano and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I said, well, that's great for her, but that's not how I was trained. I was trained to perform with international opera companies with symphony orchestras yes accompanying me i wasn't trained to sit down and play the piano I mean, we had to take piano proficiency yes but that's one thing that people didn't understand and They we were like here you are this hospital is music education and you don't play the piano very well i was like yeah i play it well enough to learn my music but then you know an opera singer has you've got a whole team helps you show up and be prepared first and foremost because an opera is about the voice and how you sing Mm -hmm. and you in order to sing with those big old huge symphony orchestras you've got to be able to project that voice across those orchestras in a huge auditorium and now they're beginning to they're beginning to amplify the voices a little bit more but you know back then when I was Really, in the height of my training, there was not a whole lot of amplification going on unless you were on TV. Yes. Or or whether they were doing it for a a movie. But for the most part, you were trained to make your voice resonate at its optimum. (laughs) So I always tell kids, yeah, you were learned, you were, you were, you could definitely use your outdoor voices. But so you've got, a, you've got a team, you've got the voice teacher, you've got the coach, because while you learn your music, you usually want to work with some really wonderful conductor so that your music is so well prepared for another conductor, for the conductor who's due. If you can't get with the conductor who's going to be conducting you, you want to get at least with a conductor so you're in that mindset of how a conductor is going to you to show up yes and then you also have to have as i said before you have to have a fiction coach so that you're like la- you're singing properly in whatever language that you're singing with the right inflection and you have to have i always like to show up the actress in me because i have a bfa in theater from the university of memphis and so the actress in me always likes to show up as a credible actress sure. so i like to go to an acting coach so those are the four people I call upon, especially when I'm learning a new role, I call upon those four people to help get me ready Mm. for day one of the office rehearsal.
2: Absolutely. You
0: know, that's another thing that I discovered as a young singer is that because I came from the Broadway world, my very first professional gig was on a National Broadway tour, *Bubbling Brown Sugar, with the wonderful Cab Calloway, who at that time was in his late 80s, and he was just phenomenal. What a person to learn from. When I did *Bubbling Brown Sugar, I wasn't even given the score or the script until the first day of rehearsal is when you're given the score and the script. Hmm. And you learn the score with the music director. Yes. And so I didn't first day of opera you know much to my embarrassment but when i was given my first professional opera gig at opera memphis i showed up just thinking okay ready to learn <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and
0: at that time you know opera memphis brought in the big stars from the metropolitan opera and these international singers and i had a very small role so it was called Rosina and I was singing the role of on So imagine, you know, <laughs> I in there day one, and you've got all these wonderful singers, and they're singing, and they're pontificating, and they know their role, and it mm. gets to me, and I'm like, I'm making up my music. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, also, also but no, uh, in your defense, especially in the old days, when the Met people would come in to do these roles, they had done these roles many times in many different opera houses all around the world. So it wasn't like they didn't—they didn't just arrive without needing a lot of rehearsal. And in those days, the stars didn't rehearse a lot. They arrived having done the role many times. So, exactly. You know, give yourself That's a break. <laughs>
0: you know, I did with Lloyd Yes. You of course, he's done all these Miguelottos all around the world by yes. the time he gets uh, to Memphis, and here I am. And then that one, I was the maid. Again, it was a tiny role, but I was a young singer and young, promising singer. And I remember Louis Clareffo gave me the best compliment. He was, you know, when the newspaper interviewed him, he said, well, there are two young singers in this cast that you should be on the lookout for. And I was one of the singers. So people have always encouraged me to do this thing called opera. Yes. And so I'm a professional opera singer and... I love creating stories for young audiences, creating opportunities for young audiences to learn about opera. I'm a writer. I love to write. I'm a recording artist. Just recently put out a recording called Necessant Musical Storytime, and I'm a published author. I wrote a children's version of my life story called From Soul Singing to Opera Soup, Finding the Right Ingredients. And uh, I've been uh, singing recently in an off-droadway production of Charmed Life, which is, again, the story of my life and how I started out in Nashville, Tennessee. Just, you know, singing to soul music at home on the radio and then at my great-grandmother's house. Granny loved country and western, so I grew up <laughs> listening to people <laughs> from Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline to uh, Aretha Franklin and Mahalia Jackson.
2: How did that influence your career pursuits and and your singing style?
0: It's interesting now, full circle. I've come back to singing all styles because I love all styles of music. There's not one. I love there are some country artists and I just love them, and there are some soul music soul singers that I just they are always going to be my favorite. And gospel like Mahalia Jackson, probably is one of my favorite singers in the whole wide world. Mm. I love that rich, gospel, chesty sound, you know, and then somebody like on the the other spectrum, I like a Patsy Cline, you know, who had that nice high lyrical, Soprano types now. Yes. You know, and the artists today, there are so many that are just wonderful. I love them. Sonny Reek is one of my favorite singers. Barbara Streisand is one of my favorite singers. I just, I love really I have to say, I love singing. There are not too many singers who I don't like. Even uh someone like a Janis Joplin, you know, you can learn from that that gutsy. Uh, really from the heart singing, which is what I learned, you know, growing up listening to people like Mahalia Jackson and Aretha Franklin and The, and the, the Temptations and, and Tina Turner and all those wonderful, wonderful singers. And so, you know, in answer to your question, all of that, even from the heart, is what I make every effort to do as an opera singer, as,
2: as, a, as a person who interprets a song, no matter what the style. hmm did I understand you correctly? In addition to being a book, it is a show, a charmed Life. It's charmed
0: Life, yes. So from soul singing to opera soup and finding the right ingredients, that's my book. So my book came out, I think it was like 2017 or 18, uh-huh. and I started writing a show. And really, honestly, the show was, I've always wanted to do a cabaret show. So it started out being called with warmest regard and it was slightly autobiographical, but really it was just a big old, huge homage and in the spirit of gratitude, I just wanted to thank everyone who as many people as I could associate a song with <laughs> in my life who's helped me, you know, to, to pull my career. And so I just kind of, there are so many people, yourself included, who could have been in that show. But then I had to narrow it down to people where I could associate a song with. Yes. And so, for example, at the beginning, I associated Oprah because she paid for me. Well, even before Oprah, uh, my wonderful acting teacher, my ballet teacher, actually, Mr. Clay, Raymond Clay, was a tall, elegant, black uh, dancer who was my ballet teacher when I was about 10 years old.
3: Hmm. And
0: one time, my mother was late picking me up from ballet lesson and he said, okay, love. Now, he was black but he, he had studied in London at the Royal Academy of Ballet, so he came back with a British accent, and, and, and he used to call me love. And I loved when he called me love. Anyway, he, one time, my mother was late picking me up. He taught me summertime.
3: Ah.
0: You know, he taught me to sing summertime. And so I I accredited him to really being my first opera coach and acting coach because when I started to sing it, he liked the way I sang it, but he said, oh, love, you must put some expression in it. You can't just sing it, you know. And then, fast forward, uh, the next big, and then I was in a pageant, the Miss Townsend Teen Tennessee pageant, and Oprah uh, came to interview me. I won the pageant,
3: you know.
0: And Oprah came to interview me after, and so I went to the national pageant, didn't even play, but the girl who did win sang, you know, this wonderful song, Curly, um, which I think Melba Moore had won a Tony Award for, so I ended up singing Curly for, after that, so many different auditions and stuff, but that's how I met Oprah, and then fast forward, I went to uh, University of Memphis. And I studied with a guy, L. Edmund Wesley, was my acting teacher, and he made it possible for me to go to New York and uh, audition for Bumbling Brown Sugar, which was to star, of course, the legendary Cap Calloway. And then I sang uh, pearly for that audition and got in. Like, they just loved me. And then after the and then, uh, and then so fast forward, Oprah paid for me to go to Manhattan School of Music. I got into the Juilliard program, et cetera, et cetera. I started having a career. So all of those songs were associated with people who just really kind of gave me a big boost into having a career. And so I put all of that together in the cabaret show called With Warmest Regards, which I did at the green room first. Um, You know, it was very casual. Mm-hmm. And then I did it at the United Solo. So I developed it more into a solo show with more speaking. And, from, and I won an award there. And then from that, other theaters, the theater in New York City and the theater down in Virginia, they saw my advertisement for my show. And that's what prompted them to reach out to me to see if I would be interested in, in performing at their theaters. The, People at urban stages helped me develop what was called, with warmest regards into charmed life, from soul singing to opera star. And that was their idea. Mm-hmm. How, could they offer star? So since they wanted to say that, I thought, well, let me figure out a way to grapple with this word star. So that it makes <laughs> sense for who I am and for the people who come to see the show. Yes. So it's empowering for people uh-huh. and not just self-serving. So I developed into this thing, Charm Life, and just got standing ovations all throughout the summer. I did it for three weeks at Urban Stages, and then I did it down at the first stage in Virginia. Uh-huh. So it felt great to be a part of theater reopening being the, the kind of, I feel like grassroots <laughs> urban stages and first have a, they have a following. They have, they've gone to kind of build a name for themselves. Urban stages have been around a while and people know of urban stages. They have had people like Shazana Beverly. Uh, I believe Shazana was the first black woman to win a Tony Award. And uh, she did her show Mabel Mercer there. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to see So Terzana is a friend of mine and a mentor and an acting coach. Yeah, so I, I respected some, the work that I saw there. And so when they asked me to present my show there, I was I said, Yeah, sure, sure. And so I did that. I'm also working on a film documentary about a woman named Clara Brown who was born a slave and. Became one of the wealthiest women in Colorado in the early 1800s, and mm-hmm. a wonderful film director, and, and myself. But her name is Sharon Shepard Levine. We are telling this story through the lens of an offer that was made way right back in 2003 with the um, Central City Opera in Colorado, and I had the honor of, of uh, seeing the leading role of Clara in oh. that. So now we're revisiting that. We've Sharon and I, we were mothers together when I was first getting ready to go out and do the opera. And Sharon at that time was filming for PDF. So when I told her I was getting ready to go out there and do that, then she said, oh my goodness, I would love to come out and film it. So that's how the conversation got started. Hmm. And so here we are now, what all these years later, we're finally doing this singing project together, but we're telling class story through the lens of the author and the creatives
3: uh-huh. we've
0: gotten together to like go to the recording students. We've had some amazing singers who are part of this project now, amazing musicians, And so we have, uh, that's how we so that's one other project that
2: I'm working on right now. And and a we...
0: television show. Yes. I'm
2: sorry. I was going to ask where you got the musicians at Colorado or, or where for the film?
0: No, I, there's a wonderful sound engineer in, here in New Jersey
2: uh-huh. named
0: Ed Kessel and his uh, studio called Sound Imagination Studios. So, what we did was we were given a little bit of a grant from first Henry Malcolm. Henry Malcolm is the composer mm-hmm. for Gabriel's daughter. And Henry had a little seed money and called us up and said, you know, I really want my office to be done again for, God forbid, I should, you know, something should happen to me because him is kind of getting a little bit older now, up in the ages, shall we say. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, if if he wants us to move forward, okay, we'll take this money. And I called my dear, dear friend, Allison Brewster and said he's a multi Grammy. Nominated pianist,
3: uh-huh.
0: and I think Allison, will you lay the track for all of the music? And we're just doing experts anyway, uh-huh. that will help us tell the story. So Allison, about this time last year, we started the recording process, and Allison first went down into the into the studio, and she started laying the tracks, and she just plays like an orchestra. So we were like, if we can't afford an orchestra, we have elephants. And so then the next step was to start hiring the singers. Of course, I sang the role with Clara, and then we hired the other roster of singers. We were fortunate in that a lot of the singers' theaters weren't open yet. Mm-hmm. A lot of we had Broadway. Off, but we had wonderful high-caliber singers who are my friends. Yes. Between me and my friends and Sharon's friends who were like, look, we're doing this thing. We can only afford to pay you this much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not a whole lot of singing. It is difficult singing because Henry is rather challenging in thought. But we were like, it, it, this is, we're telling this wonderful woman story. She's a pioneer. And she, her story deserves to be told. And so that was the cell. And the singers were like, sure, you know, we'll come in and we'll practice. The Ed had us all practice based COVID protocols. We made sure everybody was what they needed to be either vaccinated or masked up. We were all socially distanced. And so we were, we were very careful. And between, I'm going to, April and May uh-huh. we did the final recording, and so we got it all recorded. And then my school gave us money to go. We they give a grant uh, for a teacher each year to go do a bucket list dream.
3: Uh-huh.
0: And so I told them one of my bucket list dreams. You yeah, had to write a proposal, and I said, well, um, we've been trying to tell this story about Clara through the lens of the opera. And we need to go back to Colorado and film where Clara lives. We need to film the office house. We need to film some of the historic places where she is recognized. and so they, um, they I got the grant,
3: uh-huh. you know, which
0: was a nice, substantial you know grant to go. and we had we had these wonderful uh, directors the photography DPs, both of whom were are, are, are working DPs. And one of whom had worked on the film Crazy Rich Asians, and he actually used the same exact camera for us that he had used for Crazy Rich Asians.
3: Wow! So they
0: knew their stuff. Uh And then so between us using them and getting some breaks, like the theater company allowed us to stand up their wonderful Victorian housing which was
3: haunted. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it, yes.
0: That's my story and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> But they allowed us to stay in those houses, you know the housing for very uh, minimal fee, you know, nominal fees. Uh-huh. And so we got, we cut cut a lot of corners. And then at the end of the day, the DP really kind of slashed their price in half Wow,
2: wow. And now on that high note, let's take a short break. Quick commercial. During which we will now hear the singing voice of our opera singing documentary producing guest today, Laurie Brown Mirabal, Ph.D. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: Musetta's musical story time was inspired by three things my singing career. My enjoyment of teaching children to sing. <laughs> baby, so very sleepy, so very and one of my favorite children's stories, Goodnight Moon, by Margaret Weiss Brown. In the There was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. When she was a little girl, my daughter and I would snuggle and read this story over and over again. As we read together, I always wondered what happened in that great green room. It is. In this recording, I've created a colorful town called Sofeggio. This town has a resident opera diva, Musetta Treble, and her neighbors are the characters listed or featured in Goodnight Moon. They each have a story followed by a melody. It all culminates with a wonderful musical setting of Goodnight Moon by composer Eric Whitaker. Overall, this recording provides a soothing listening experience for everyone.
2: Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. Again, our guest today is Lori Brown-Mirabal, PhD. Lori, let's jump right in. Uh, Tell us more about this, how to produce a documentary in Colorado in the middle of a global pandemic. So at the end of the day,
0: Sharon and I, we've been splitting this, the whole time after Henry's feed money, we've just kind of been splitting the fees.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Uh So with my school giving us that nice grant, I think we ended up out-of-pocket, maybe each of us saved maybe $300 a piece <laughs> for wow. the whole summer. Wow. So, yeah, so what we're doing now is I've got to go back in and start mixing and mastering or letting it, you know, just listening to everything so that we can get all of the stuff mixed and mastered beautifully. Sharon, who's the film editor and, as well as the director, she is going to do the uh, editing. Uh-huh. So we have... You know how you know of, uh, more or better than anyone that if you set the date, then it'll happen.
2: That's right. So, <laughs> and that's
0: how all of that recording took place because we had around about this time last year, we said, by this time, we need to do this. This time, we need to do this. And This time, and it needs to be finished. Right. And it did get finished. And we had no idea at the time. How we were going to get the money to go out to Colorado. We just knew we needed to do it over the summer. Absolutely.
2: And at that time, I, we had no idea. The, uh, there exactly. There's nothing like setting a goal date. You set the goal date, and the worst possible thing that can happen is that when you uh, you will you will achieve more in any case. But if you don't achieve everything, you just move the goal date. And keep going. <laughs> you know, that's the worst thing that can happen. But really, what happens when you set a definite goal, I'm going to do this at such and such a date, the universe just opens up. And so does one's mind and imagination and, and consideration of the possibilities. You see things you would not have seen if you did not have a definite goal date for good. So good for you, ladies. Absolutely. Congratulations. Amen. And, o- and all of this during COVID. You know, you're taking all, all the... precautions.
0: which is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I,
2: I mean, how many... But I
0: have to give you a commercial break right now. If it weren't for you, Mr. Marcello Rolando, if it weren't for your commercial course way back when, I can't even remember the year, but I know that's changing for me. Because at that point, you know, it's just how you get little twinges of uh, what you think Maybe happening, but then when you came along and you just kind of put a philosophy to what I was beginning to kind of understand about how the universe
3: works,
0: mm. I was like, oh man, I wish I had known this earlier.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: just the idea of saying this is what I want. This is the goal. This is the outcome. Now let me walk backwards. How? You know, let me start setting a date. Yes, and then it just kind of manifests. Yes, but just that dream book that you suggested. Now, you—I did a dream book. where you were saying just take color pictures and put them. Yes. somewhere where you can see them and set an intention and. But do the work. Why? Why do you want it? Do all of that work. Yes. Uh, you do all of that work, and you—you know—then it becomes clearer to you, because if you don't have a strong why? This is something I, I've learned. If you don't have a strong why, it's not going to last.
3: Yeah. Your,
0: your goal, you're just going to, you know, with the least little, when the wind blows, you're going to blow in that opposite direction or blow in whatever direction the wind is blowing. Yes. But if you have a strong, strong why behind your goal, then you will keep at it. Then it, when that when that why to, starts to dwindle, Then you need to figure
3: out
2: another why, Uh
0: and/or decide: Is is this something you still really want to pursue? Is it worth pursuing?
2: Yes. And let's make clear to everyone what you're saying is why, w h y, why you want to. Yes, why? Why do you want this? That feeds your motivation and your energy. You're absolutely right. And and I'm. If I may, I'd like to also interject. I remember the specifically the classes in which i would make this point Uh, and since you alluded to it i want to just give the image to everyone listening and now a studio when i was teaching tv acting to laurie and and many many students from all artistic backgrounds by the way artistic disciplines and, and people who were not even in the arts in any case i would say picture this wall on the opposite side of the studio as the final thing you want to achieve. That, that's the goal. And now step back from it, as, as uh, Laurie was alluding to, until you get to the opposite wall and now answer for yourself. You don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to say it out loud except when you're alone to the universe so the universe is clued in clearly. But you need to define what what you accomplish at each step toward that ultimate wall over there, that goal, and why do you want to accomplish it? And then you work it out that way so that you have these these steps in mind that just come naturally once you decide that's how I have to work on this. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you, first of all, for so for the commercial. You, I'm,
0: I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said that. And another powerful tool that you gave me was uh, to... Put the I am, yes. I am like on yes. April 1st, 2022, I am be from debt, or I am being you know, a Mercedes-Benz, or I am buying a new home, or I am everybody in the world in <laughs> you know, I am getting work, you know, the kind of uh, creative offers uh, that I want to get that are going to catapult me into... A level of, 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 of prosperity that, yes. I, that I I never could even have imagined, or whatever. But the I am has to be so in one, and I like that you said it had to be one sentence. Yes. You know, yes. direct, and put an image there. Yes. You, you were saying that, uh, and so I, I decided to do a dream book. I called it a dream book because I didn't want my husband, because <laughs> at the time we were New, kind of newlyweds and i didn't want him to think i was cool. <laughs> but i just did a big old huge i found a big old huge book
3: uh-huh
0: and for every i am statement and and you suggest that we do nine i suggest people do as little or as many as they want yes. you know maybe just stick with one or two or three but Nine in the different in the nine areas of our lives that we want to see improvement. Yes. And you suggested a one statement, and for each of those statements, we've done the Y work, the W H Y work, and then we find a picture and or pictures that represent what it is we want to achieve, and we make sure we put ourselves into the pictures.
2: Yes. And do you remember why we need color pictures? Why we need pictures at all, but specifically color? I think you said
0: something about we dream in
2: color. That's it. Dream dream. You know, the, mm-hmm. if we dream and more than dream, which dreaming is uh, absolutely because a lot of things happen in dreams, but we think in pictures. And when we think in pictures, we think in color because that's what we see. That's that's reality for us. So when you're thinking mm-hmm. in pictures, you can direct that thinking, you can focus that thinking by having your dream board or your dream book or however you're going to put it up, But but mm-hmm. color pictures of what you want and, again, including yourself in it, and there's nothing, nothing that comes out of our mouth that is more powerful than the two words, I am, because what mm-hmm. follows that becomes... It just is. I am. Wow, you take me down a lovely memory lane. uh, You see all those
0: things? And way back when I was in your studio, I, oh yeah, and there's one more thing you said, which is so powerful. When you said, now, if you look at this I am statement in the morning, First thing when you get up. Oh,
3: yes, yes. And
0: then look at this I am statement in the evening just before you go to sleep. Yes. And you said that when you feel like you want to cry or you're just have chills or that's when it's about to happen.
2: Yes. Wow. I
0: never will forget that. I was like, whoosh. That's very powerful. And I've had those moments, and I and and you're right. as soon after I have those moments, things start to happen, and they happen very quickly.
2: All right, we're going to have to go pretty soon. I don't want to rush you because this is uh, this has been so beautiful on so many levels. But I wonder, you have so much to do. You are in post production for the film. You have people, artists of great talent who've gathered to you, who've been magnetized to you to do this project during COVID, being safe, but nonetheless giving, uh, not freely, but pretty reasonably, that's for sure, of their talents to make this happen. And that's the kind of attraction you, the magnet you become when you use this powerful I am and when you have your specific dates What's next? What 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 else? If if I dare ask that, it seems so much already.
0: In my big dream for so many years, even when I was there, I did a picture of me on a television screen. I have always wanted to have my own television show, primarily. And at first, I didn't know what I wanted it to be. No. Uh huh. But this started evolving, and I was like, ah. Oh, I want to do a show that is based on opera, opera ingredients, because i do a show called Making Opera Soup for Young Audiences, and in fact, that's one of the other shows down in Virginia along with Charmed Life, but I see this television show that has elements of all the shows I've ever had in my head, of the main three shows, which is the elements that it takes to make an opera. And then I have the seventh musical storytime animation. And then I had this idea way back when I was at Columbia University, and I had to develop a show for my one of my classes. I thought it was a when "I Grow Up" show,
3: hmm. and the
0: premise of that show was that kids would uh, you know, just say at the beginning of the show, "When I grow up, I want to be a Supreme Court judge," like that. And so that kid would get to follow a real Supreme Court judge throughout their day to see what they do. Hmm. And then at the end of the day, they would understand that, you know, by the end of the show, they would understand that, you know, if you want to do this, then you got to do this, and, you know, you got to do this, and step one, step actually gave them steps that they had to do in order to accomplish what it they wanted to accomplish. Yes. So that And so I'm wondering if making off the suit, which I have a script, I'd love for you to. I, I, I I'd love for us to collaborate because this is my big, huge, bucket list, my like, dream lifetime project, and I just feel like it could just be amazing in the award-winning, just what I'd like for it to do for music literacy is what Stephanie Street did for literacy in
2: general. Yes. Okay.
0: So that's, that's what I want to do.
2: What's your timeline on that, or or have you sat down to figure that out yet?
0: I haven't sat down to figure it out yet.
2: Okay. Well, you take the first step. You put it out there, and if you want to talk to me about it, I'd be glad to. Obviously, of course, anytime.
0: I would love to talk with you about it, and and just have to, you know, we have to figure out because I know you're busy too. Yes. But I just feel like we could work on it together, and we could decide how we want to proceed in terms of, because I wouldn't want you to just do something for free for me. Mm. Um, So, you know, either on a consulting basis, on a consulting slash you take a percentage of it, if it does make it, like, hit it big, we would do, like, a share of the whatever profit it made. Uh I think that's something we we could talk about.
2: Sure, sure. All right. Well, before we go... I would like you to uh, to just take a moment, uh, Laurie, and tell us in these final moments of the show, what is it you want the listening audience to take away from this conversation?
0: I hope they take away some tools they can use in this life that will help them live a healthier life and a more fulfilled life. As I have, after taking your course and throughout the years that I've taken your course, I I feel that my life and those people, uh, like my daughter, my husband, because eventually I did talk with him about um, this philosophy of of putting your state the I am, I'll call it the I am philosophy, yes, and being very intentional, and he's come along a long long way from a very kind of a more of a skeptic, Mm -hmm. closer to a dreamer. And my daughter now, who is 24, she is very much her mother's daughter. Mm -hmm. And she lives in that realm of, yeah, I can do it. I I mean, we all get discouraged, especially for those of us living in COVID. And I think this is the time more than ever to start deciding what it is you want to do making plans to go ahead and do it and then start dreaming about it, set an intention, set a date, do an I am statement, do the why behind the I am statement and just know, know, this is a, this really does, it really does work. It It, really does work.
2: It does, indeed. As long as we add the work to it as well. If We don't, you know, do do the work. Absolutely.
0: And the hardest thing is two things, Getting, doing the why, you know, why behind what it is you want, because you might say you want something, but then you don't have a strong reason for wanting, or a, a, a soul, soul, yes. soul, deep down in the soul, why does your soul need this to happen Yes. In this lifetime? Yes. Why does your soul need this to happen? And then after you do that, just realize, and I think this is another thing you said, once you set an intention, you do all your work, you know, as, as my folks used to say way back down south, the devil is busy. <laughs> <laughs> <You>
3: know, <laughs>
0: then all the things come out that are going to tell you no, 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 no. That's right. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Why should you do it? You're not worthy enough. <laughs> all of those voices are going to come um, just realize that. Yes. But then you have to say, mm-mm, mm-mm. mm-mm. That's right. I don't, I don't accept that anymore. You know, just, I think it was in the Bible, get behind me, and yeah. I, I hate to preach like that because I know there are lots of different wonderful ways at understanding religious philosophies and or just being spiritual. I understand that, so I'm not trying to wane, you know, um, you know, be as uh, my husband calls me sometimes, uh, what if he was on Saturday Night Live. Church lady. I'm be <laughs> church lady But I do know there are some things that <clears throat> they are, they just ring true. Yes. Things are going to come to your mind that are not true. You can accept them or say, no, I'm I don't, I don't agree with that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. This is what I want. And no matter what happens, I'm going to stay consistent. Yes. With this belief. So that's what I think that and just, you know, make make sure you do the pictures. I feel like to pick yourself, but some people maybe they don't need that. Uh, uh, but
2: yeah, you know, I mean,
0: set the intention, stay, stick with it. Do the why, do the why, do the why, do the why. Yes, and if the why is so gratifying to your soul, what your soul says, "Yep, yeah, I need to do this. I need to do this right now." Then just you know, go ahead and go for it.
2: Exactly. All right then we're going to say goodbye at the moment and this has been an incredible show thoroughly enjoyed catching up with you and and you're reminding me of a lot of things it doesn't matter even the teacher you know needs to be reminded <laughs> you know what i'm saying because oh, i, t- I know about
0: it. That's right. Get reminded all the time by my students. <laughs> I know.
2: My I hear from students from decades and they will say something and I will go, That's right, that's right. Am I doing that? I question myself, Am I doing that still? And when I find out, oh yes, I do I know the the I am at the beginning and the end of the night, yes, that's a that, that has never left my life. But I'm still I'm always happy and refreshed by hearing it from a former student because they... Of course, it makes me feel good that something I've taught someone has resonated and they've used it to their success and the success of whatever they're doing and the people with whom they're doing. All that, of course, I feel grand about that. But I feel just as happy when my, my words come back to me and go, okay, Marcello, make certain you always practice what you preach. Even though I'm comfortable with that, You still need to hear it every now and then so that you can check and make certain you have not been distracted. And I'm so pleased at everything you've said and so much of what you are doing, and that's benefiting, and that's another part of the why. The why is not just about oneself, but the why has a benefit to society, to family, to friends, to the world. And this movie, for instance, you're making is bringing something, you know, that, that wonderful book, The Half Never Told, I think is the title. Um, the movie you are making of a human being that lived in Colorado, a woman, a yes, African yes. American. Yes, you know, people will be saying her name and remembering her name and her life and be inspired by it because you make a movie about it. And there, there is a wonderful why. All right, yeah. I get. I guess we should go. It's been a grand show. I thank you so very much for being on the show, thank Lori. You. Thank. you. Oh, you know what we should do also before we go. Let people know uh, how they can reach out to you. A website. How do we find you and uh, work with you or whatever? Absolutely, that's
0: a great- Thank you so much for and and thank you so much for having me as a guest. And it is. More- I can tell you how great, grateful I am for reconnecting with you so thank you thank you thank you thank you and the way people can reach out to me I'm uh, at uh, Lori Brown Mirabal is my website l o r i b r o w n m i r a b a l dot-com is how you can find me and I am open to all wonderful things
2: excellent that's a beautiful way to end the show today that was so much
0: fun i loved it and i love the content because this is what people need to this is what
2: people need to know very good dear enjoy your day in school have
0: a wonderful rest of your day
2: thank you you too bye now Mm -hmm. bye-bye thank you everyone for tuning in to the reasonable voices news talk radio program today our guest of course was Laurie Brown Mirabal, Ph.D., great opera singer, great musical theater performer, and educator, documentary producer. And keep in mind, you can see and hear our guest today, Laurie Brown Mirabal, live Saturday, 11 December 2021, at Urban Stages in New York City. By the way, ticket sales benefit... The Urban Stages Outreach Program. For ticket information, visit the website of Urban, U R B A N, stages, S T A G E S dot org. Urbanstages dot org in New York City, Saturday, December eleventh, twenty twenty one, at seven PM. Laurie Brown Mirabal. Hi, I'm Marcello Rolando of Rolando and Dresner Productions, and Larry and I are vaccinated, masking up, and moving forward with our new musical dramedy, A Little Place Called Earth. COVID-19 and our 2020 elections have brought out the best and worst in some of us, but few of us have to learn what to do if a police officer stops us, and less than half of us have to worry about where we jog, walk, or drive. As we listen to Larry Dresner's composition, Mistakenly Taken, sung by Christian Mark Gibbs, imagine what a difference it would make if all Americans shared all of America equally.
1: shelter one day, decided to choose a son. They wanted a kid in need of love, so naturally I was the one. They weren't really that bad after all, so I figured I had nothing to lose. I guess maybe I was special. There were many more kids to choose. Was happy, like I was born all over again. I knew I was lucky, been lucky before. Can't remember when. So I packed my bags, we drove away. I waved as we passed the gate imagine me with a family I didn't feel one bit of hate mistakenly taken regretfully returned apologies to those involved I hope was burned that's all they said and I was sent off to bed mistakenly taken regretfully returned please give the kid a kiss Good night. I'm sure he'll be alright what difference does it make what difference does it make Some people came to the shelter one day, decided to leave a son. They dropped off a kid in need of love. So naturally I was the one. Down deep I was angry, like I died a little inside. Down deep I was angry. The feeling as I cried, mistakenly taken, regretfully returned. Apologies to those involved. I hope no one was burned. That's all they said.
2: Information, listen to our Rolando and Dresner Productions podcast on Marcello Rolando's YouTube channel. Thank you. And join us online, on stage, and on earth. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Ah, if we only knew. Keeping our balance and republic during number three. Have you seen the surveys that insist most Americans cannot identify half of America's states on a map without state names provided? So I'm including a map of Europe. Before graduate school, I visited Europe for the first time and discovered Europeans were curious about Americans who were neither in uniform nor tourists. They even asked me about American weather. So, in my best newly acquired opera-romantic languages, I explained that America is so big, we have different weather in different areas of the country. This was a new concept for them because, given the size of Europe, much of their weather is shared in common. So, what if Europe's next rainstorm is a downpour of radioactive fallout? I wonder what fantasies our collective American mind wander to in those few moments when we're not besieged by domestic tugs of war, self-serving interpretations of constitutional amendments, and foreign disinformation." what do we wonder as we have wandered through endless mazes of madison avenue ads wall street hedge fund hurricanes and corporate-owned talking heads swirling tornado talking points do we like an echo chamber declare peace for our time Or are we forever doomed by our denial of science versus viruses, climate change versus planet Earth, and education versus the sexual ignorance and desires of hypocritical politicians? How many books must conservative GOP governors and red state legislatures burn before we remember what is past is prologue? What do we think happens to a people who bury their dreams under a pile of narrow personal POVs with individual interests permanently planted in front of media more gossip than just the facts, ma'am? Unlike Republicans Carlos Jimenez, Mike Gallagher, Mitt Romney, and Lindsey Graham, President Joe Biden is correct to draw a red line against destroying the world in order to save it. But what if tyrants like Putin already know America's strategies from the jackass's mouth when a 2016 oval-shaped room cuddled a troika of one-way secret sharing as prelude, perhaps, to stolen government documents streaming from a Palm Beach Ocean Boulevard golf club before being securely archived for American posterity? ...before some Americans started attacking Russian restaurants in America which employed Ukrainians. Proving yet again we are still as short-sighted, thus easily manipulated, as Cheney's freedom fries... ...and the insanity of dumping out good French wine just because France saw through the folly of America's Iraq war of choice... ...and the weapons of mass destruction lies, propagated to launch shock and awe for oil somewhat akin to Putin's current attempt to recapture a breadbasket gone democratic Ironically, Vlad seeks an empire renaissance in which leaders such as he, who embarrassed the Union's military prowess and Communist leaders, were dispatched as quickly as a Colone ordered ride in the country. Ponder this. If a global pandemic could cost Putin's American kindred spirit a second shot at a bully pulpit, could not COVID isolationism cost Putin any self-control over his vengeful cravings to reverse the greatest political catastrophe of the 20th century? Exactly how many times must fearful, hostile, and hateful men like Stalin, Hitler, Putin, and Trump— rise to the world stage at the demise of national sanity before we are prepared to admit it is we ourselves who are the wings for each new carbon copy bully of the continent, repeating the classic entree into global acquisitions. You ever wonder what if our 35th president had been as flippant about Khrushchev and Castro as our 45th remains even today toward NATO membership? What exactly do we think Americans who wear t-shirts that read, I'd rather be Russian than a Democrat, think about the exceptionalism of our American dream? What must we think demagogues do when unable to mesmerize a majority into believing every daily drop of drool from drones droning out disinformation for dummies? Invent truck drivers to waste gas while complaining about the cost of gasoline to protest wearing a mask for protection from a global pandemic which has killed over 968,000 Americans. Because ignorance of past truths and denial of future inevitabilities have never shielded current events, we need rational thought or the next mushroom cloud won't reek of LBJ and Bush-Cheney smokescreens but will be as real as human greed for power shatters peace, families, and lives. What do we think foreign and domestic tyrants do when they think time is on the side of democracy? What do we think Putin will do after Ukraine? Go home? copy his copycat by telling Russians, I alone can fix it. Listen, with 40% of Americans programmed by political and financial puppeteers to worship oligarchy wannabes, more than celebrate emancipated life, liberty, and justice for all, it's not only America that needs a village, but planet Earth slipping further into a decrescendo from lack of human kindness, possibility thinking, and leading by example. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.